The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks and content available only to our patrons at sportsgamepodcast.com slash Patreon. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning, July 25th. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one. Maybe a bit of a long one, though, because we do have three tournaments to preview. One taking place in Hamburg, one taking place in Umag, and one taking place in Atlanta. So going through those tournaments should be fun. And we'll do our usual routine of going through some outrights as well as some lock and dog picks at the end for individual matches. However, full disclosure, I do not have any quarter odds available, so I'm not going to be able to do that. Instead, we're going to spend less time on each tournament solely talking about the hours to win the event. But it is what it is. I would have done quarter breakdowns, but I do not have odds on those. So as a result, we're going to have to ignore them. But anyway, before we get into any of the uh, tournament previews, do want to do the usual business first, which is recapping last episode and then also talking about the uh, news that happened over the last day or two. So starting off with the lock and dog from the last episode, overall decent, ended up splitting, did win the lock, though, had Manorino money line at minus 130. Simply put, 130 was a gift. I don't know how long that line was up for because I believe Manorino closed at 155. Didn't matter if you took him in straight sets as well. That was a nice plus price winner, but he dominated for the most part. Did get broken early in the second set, but then broke Mickelson two more times into the second set to eventually win the final set 6-4. But Mickelson looked like an overwhelmed teenager, which is fine because that's what he was. And Manorino, I said a couple of episodes ago, I thought the winner of the Manorino and Thompson match would eventually win the tournament, and that's exactly what happened. Manorino and Thompson, I thought, were the best two players at this venue for the entire week, and unfortunately, they had a pretty early collision course, which resulted in that three-set win by Manorino. But Manorino looked very composed. He looked very solid, and Mickelson got very frustrated the longer the rallies went on for, not to mention Manorino's unorthodox style, I thought, would give Mickelson problems because of how flat and how low Manorino hits the ball and it did. Mickelson had a lot of unforced errors, got broken, I believe, four times in the match, and Manorino only got broken once. So nice win for Manorino. I believe that was his third ATP title, his second title on grass, so congrats to him there. But either way, Point has picked up a nice win for the lock, and we had a painful loss with the dog at Ramos Vinola's money line at plus 135. Won the first set, so we needed him to win either the second set or the third set. Punted the second set. I believe he lost that 6-0. But then he ended up uh, having a war in the third set, lost 7-5 in the third set. So a bit of a heartbreaker there. If he took the over two and a half sets, which was my lean in that match as well, that ended up winning. But unfortunately for the actual dog play, we had Ramos Finolas, and he fell just a bit short, losing 7-5 in the third set. As for the actual recap from the matches, I basically summed up the entire Manorino match already, which was Mickelson being inexperienced. And him struggling against a veteran, consistent player who's been very solid on grass all year long. So not shocked there. The Manorino beat him in straight sets. Once again, props to Mickelson for making such a deep run, uh, only being 18 years old. I know he's on the schedule to play in Atlanta, so I'm looking forward to seeing him in the next tournament. It's actually kind of funny because he faces off against Cressy again for the immediate rematch there after they faced off in Newport. But Mickelson, very solid young teenage player. Uh, who can be a potential threat moving forward, but with his first ever ATP final 
looked overwhelmed, not going to roast him too hard for that. As for Ramos Vinolas versus Katchen, Katchen won his first ATP title, uh, so props to him for doing so. I thought they were the two best players in the venue the entire week, and unfortunately for us, once again, Katchen was slightly better. Pretty even final, though. Once again, 7-5 in the decider, so not really much to break down there. Katchen was a little bit better defending his serve, but it was a pretty even battle throughout, and Katchen was just a little bit more solid on some big points, which gave him the win. But I can't really roast Ramos Vinolas for it either, because once again, Katchen and Ramos Vinolas were close in terms of overall form. Katchen was just a little bit better. So not really much to break down there, but props to Katchen for getting over the finish line to win his first ever ATP title. And then you had the biggest dud, so to speak, of the Sunday card, which was a matchup between two top 10 players in an ATP 250, which does not happen that often. And unfortunately, I did have the pre-tournament play on Kasparud to win the event, and he lost in straight sets to Rublev. Now, it was a rare spot where you had one very competitive set and one blowout because it was 7-6-6-0. In fact, you cannot get a bigger disparity than that. But the point is, Rude, I really did not think played that badly. You can make an argument that it was one of the best matches Rublev's ever played. To go through the actual numbers there on Rublev in his performance, he was basically flawless. I really don't know how he could have played much better. And as a result, I just think Rude ran into a buzzsaw and he got destroyed. But if you want to look at the actual numbers here for Rublev, I'm not sure how many people could have beaten him based on how well he played. So to go through the numbers here, Rublev landed 80% of his first serves. He landed 92% of his second serves. So 80% first serve percentage is massive. He won 80% of those first serve points. Now, he only won 42% of his second serve points. But when you land 80%, and you win 80%, you're not going to lose. It's just not going to happen, and you're looking at how these players unfolded in breakpoints. Rude did get broken four times, but Rublev, once again, was just hitting bombs, and he was touching all the lines. I know Rude kind of made a joke uh, in his post-match interview talking about how he likes Rublev as a player, but Rublev kicked his ass because he hit every shot perfectly in the final. But uh, once again, I didn't think Rude looked that bad. I thought Rude was doing his usual top spin return uh, from well behind the baseline. And Rublev was very good at executing the one-two punch. And his forehand was on, his backhand was on, and simply put, Rublev kind of smacked him. But I'm not really going to blame Rude for playing poorly per se. I just think Rublev played insanely well, and that's one of the most complete matches I've ever seen him play. So congrats to Rublev. He did burn my uh, ticket personally, but the fact that Rublev played a three-set marathon against Sarundalo the day prior and then was able to immediately respond by having a complete performance against a top-five guy on clay was very impressive on Rublev's part. So congrats to him for winning another ATP title. And unfortunately for us, Rude went down in flames. So we did not win an outright for the entire week uh, in terms of the tournament outrights to win the whole thing. Did a great job on the quarters, though. So that definitely helped offset some of the overall losses for the tournament outrights in general. But I do think when you're looking at how that match unfolded, I do think the scoreboard of 7-6-6-0 is a little bit misleading, especially the 6-0 part, because Rublev was just so good and Rude looked fine. It wasn't like he was injured or anything like that. Rublev just came out and destroyed him. And at some sometimes you run into a player in God mode and Rublev was in God mode. So congrats to Rublev there for winning another title. 
and we'll see if he has much left in the tank. Him or Rude have much left in the tank for next week because both guys are playing in Hamburg. So I am curious how they're going to hold up physically. But anyway, uh, as for the actual news that happened over the past couple of days, I actually want to make a brief statement about some comments made by Monfi. Now, Monfi was pretty busy over the past week because he was participating in the UTS, which is another, I don't want to call it an exhibition tennis league, but it's some type of tennis league with a unique scoring system. Now, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because Monfi made some comments over the past day where he was complaining about the scheduling from the ATP in the start of the Atlanta tournament. Now, the reason why he's complaining is because a couple of other ATP players participated in the event, and they did not have to play immediately on Monday. They were given an off day, and some of them were playing on Tuesday. Some of them have a bye. Now, Monfi, once again, was annoyed at the scheduling spot, and I guess you can make an argument that his complaints were a little bit warranted because he lost to Kokonakis on Monday in that final set tiebreaker. Fun match, which he eventually lost. But the point is, I'm completely anti-Monfi on this case. I think that he sounds like an idiot. Now, I want to mention the reasons why I think Monfi is completely wrong. First of all, he participated in the UTS event. That is not associated with the ATP. So I don't know why the ATP would feel obligated to give him extra time off when he voluntarily participated in an event right before Atlanta. The argument for, I'd say, the argument against Monfi is if you wanted to be rested for an ATP event, you probably should not have been playing competitive tennis for another organization the weekend before the event. So that's one thing that I think doesn't make any sense. The second thing I want to talk about is kind of just the overall nerve of Monfi to complain about the schedule. Now, I understand Monfi used to be a top 10, top 15 guy, and he made a couple of deep runs in uh, Grand Slams. I know he's won a couple of ATP events in general in the past, but I have to at least point out that Monfi, at this stage in his career with his injury rehab, is ranked 322nd. The 322nd ranked player is complaining about the schedule, and I am aware, once again, Atlanta's trying to sell tickets, and I am aware that Monfi is a very big draw for fans. And it's kind of the same way that team keeps getting wild card entries and, you know, all these other exceptions to get into main draws when his ranking is not great. But Monfi complaining about the start time of Atlanta and his overall schedule is kind of offensive in a way because Atlanta shouldn't have even really forced him or allowed him into main draw uh, entry. They should have forced him into qualifying if you want to play that card because he's 322nd in the rankings. And the truth is, if Monfi wasn't happy about the scheduling, then quit. Nobody's forcing you to play Atlanta. Like, I understand the argument is it's the hardcore season in North America, which is Monfi's favorite season out of the year. But it's not their problem if you want to play in a different league and then complain afterwards that you used up all your energy in the other league that doesn't really matter. No offense to the UTS. I don't think they have a big following. And the fact that he went to a serious war against Taylor Fritz over the weekend in the UTS, and I believe it went to a sudden death situation, which once again, different format, kind of gimmicky, but still. I don't feel bad for Monfi that he had to play on Monday 
when he could have been off the entire weekend and chose to play in a different league. And the fact that he's 322nd and he feels ungrateful to be in the main draw because of the scheduling spot, there's a lot of guys who are ranked higher than him at this stage in their careers that had to go through qualifying and that got eliminated. And they had to endure the travel, endure a bunch of matches, and you had a couple of guys who were not given lucky loser entries, and they wasted all their time. If you want to think about it, qualifying is a real pain in the ass, and it's very difficult because you have to play a lot of matches with no off time, and if you lose at any point, barring luck, you are eliminated and you wasted your entire time because you were not entered into the main draw. If Monfi was going to complain this much about it, I wish he didn't take the entry, and I wish he let somebody else who went through qualifying, who would have been grateful to be there, I wish he would have given him the spot. But Monfi, I understand why, once again, he's in the main draw. Injury didn't help a situation, but it's the reality of the situation, which is him being ranked 322nd. And I'm aware, once again, he is going to be a draw to help sell tickets, and they're trying to actually make money hosting these venues, hosting these events. I get it. But at least don't sound ungrateful that at this stage in your career, you're still being handed out of just overall entries into ATP events instead of having to qualify. I thought Monfi sounded very dumb. And to be honest, I'm happy he lost because I feel like if you're going to make a stink out of the situation, he had it coming. So I'm not anti-Monfi in general. I think he's a very entertaining player and he always has been. But I do think in this specific situation, he sounds ungrateful, and to be honest, he sounds like a douche. So that's kind of my main takeaway there. I'm happy Monfi lost personally, and I hope that he stops complaining and he focuses more on winning matches because he's not won many matches over the past year. But anyway, uh, that's kind of my main news uh, recap. Also, I had to briefly mention that Djokovic ended up skipping the National Bank Open due to fatigue. At this stage in his career, he only cares about Grand Slams. That doesn't mean anything to me. He should be focused on being well-rested for the U.S. Open, a tournament which he actually has not won for the last couple of years. So I'm hoping Djokovic once again can do well at the U.S. Open, but I'm not shocked that he's skipping events in order to try to stay healthy. Uh, besides that, jo uh, you had Zverev, who denied his allegations of assault, and they're going to take their investigative re uh, actual steps to prove or disprove those claims. Not a shock there. You're not going to see Zverev admit that he did anything uh, because they're going to have to let the lawyers figure it out and let the actual uh, police department figure it out to see if those claims are legitimate or not. But anyway, point is, that's going to do it for the actual recap of the past couple of days, mainly the Monfi rant, which I wanted to mention because I think Monfi sounds once again like an idiot. But I wanted to at least bring it up. So that's my brief thoughts there. If you disagree... That's, you know, once again, your opinion, but I find it an insane, at least statement to complain about a lack of rest when you voluntarily participated in a competing organization to play tennis over the weekend, which nobody forced you to do. That just sounds insane to me. Now he has a lot of time off because he lost immediately. So congrats to Kokonakis for advancing to the second round. Anyway, time to get into the actual tournament previews. Sorry it's coming out a bit late, by the way, but with the tournament schedule, it is the annoying portion of the year because for podcasting because you have a couple of events in Europe which take place early in the afternoon, and then you end up having, or even in the morning in some cases, and then you have Atlanta, which is, of course, in America, and those matches end at like 11 p.m., so you end up having to wait a couple of hours for the Atlanta odds to drop 
And when that happens, you make podcasts that are very early in the morning. So that's why this podcast coming out early. Either way is what it is. Got to make the most of a bad situation. Now it's time to get into the actual tournament preview. So starting off with Hamburg, because we're going to we're going to go once again in order of start from the matches starting on Tuesday. And Hamburg does start early. Uh, by a pretty significant margin. It starts earlier by about five, six hours compared to uh, Umag and compared to Atlanta. So starting off with Hamburg, you have Rublev as the favorite at plus 380. You have Rude as the second favorite at plus 430. Zverev at 550. Musetti at 850. Sarundalo at plus 1,000. Dejir at 14 to 1. Uh, Fakina at 21 to 1. Garin at plus 2,400. Kachin at 2,400. Altmaier, 2,900. Kekmanovic, 2,900. Van Ash uh, Van Ash at 3,100. And then a couple of serious long shots. So to start off with the actual history of this event, to mention the recent winners, it's been around for a long time, by the way. This tournament started in 1892. So a very long tournament. Uh, it's been around probably longer than arguably any other event on the entire ATP Tour. It's got to be up there. But to go through the history... Of this event, you might remember this being the Musetti Cinderella run tournament last year, where he was able to really shock a lot of people and win as a very big underdog uh, pre-tournament as a long outright. And he ended up beating Alcaraz in the final in three sets. Year before that, you had Busta beating Krajinovic. Year before that, you had Rublev beating Tsitsipas. You had Basilashvili winning the two years prior against Rublev and against uh, Leonardo Meyer. Uh, you had Leonardo Meyer winning the year before that. Klezon, Nadal, Meyer, Fagnini, a lot of people who are past their prime are retired. So the point is, if you want to go by past years, then Musetti and Rublev check those boxes because Rublev is a former champion, a former runner-up, and Musetti did win last year. So if you want to go based on that angle, those are really the only two guys based on historical trends or historical results that you'd want to back. Now to go through the actual path of the players, I'll start off with Rublev who has a pretty decent path. The only problem is he might run into Sarundalo again uh, because they are in line to face off in the quarterfinals. So that could be a bit of a concern, but he should be able to beat Tapata Marais in the first round, should be able to beat Altmaier. Maybe it won't be the easiest match against, Alt against Altmaier, but still. The matchup against Sarundalo could be interesting, but Sarundalo does face off against Hansman in the first round, which potentially could go either way. I'm going to lean to Sarundalo, but I do think that could be a very entertaining quarterfinal matchup. And to look at the second favorite here, you are looking at Rude, who has a pretty nice draw. Now, Rude faced off against Baez in the first round. Baez is a good clay player, but Baez is also a guy that has not been in great form, who has been a bit streaky. And I do think that with Rude's consistency and with Baez's lack of size, Rude can really implement the moon ball return which can really push Baez back on the court and wait for Baez to self-destruct with some unforced errors. Rude's a massive favorite there. I think he'll win comfortably. Then he would face off against either Deliant or Gareen. Once again, Rude should be able to cruise through those. And unlike facing off against Sarundalo, he'd probably face off against Kekmanovic, which is not exactly that big of a threat because Kekmanovic has struggled over the last couple of months. Could be Lahovich, who has not been in good form physically, maybe Golan or Phils, but the point is, Rude should really coast into the semis. And once he gets to the semis, you're looking at probably Zverev, but Zverev really doesn't scare me either because I just don't think Zverev is the type of player who I trust to maintain form 
over a period of several rounds. And I do think that Rude is a bad matchup for Zverev because Zverev is prone to hitting a lot of unforced errors. Rude's good at keeping the ball in play. We saw it in the French Open. Rude buried him in the semis and won in straight sets. I think Zverev would get smacked by Rude in this one. So I do think that Rude is in a great spot to reach a final. Now, I did not mention the other side for Rublev, and the main opponent he would probably have to face off against is Musetti, which is not fun because Musetti is a former champion. So in this case, I actually like Musetti more than Zverev in terms of their chances to win the event, especially at these odds. I'm not taking Zverev at plus 550. That's a bad price. I'd rather take Musetti at 850 if I had to pick between the two. But the point is Rublev's draw is really not great. Facing off against Sarundolo, probably, and Musetti, while Rude probably only has to face off against Zverev. And even with that being the case, he dominated Zverev in the French Open. So I actually do like Rude at plus 430. I think it's a very good uh, actual price on him. Rublev is interesting at plus 380. And you could argue with 380, it's a pretty good price because usually the favorite is going to be around like plus 250, plus 300, especially a guy that just won an event. But the point is, Rublev could battle some fatigue. You can argue the same might happen with Rude. I like the overall talent of Rublev, but with that draw, I am a bit concerned, and I do think plus 380 is a is really a price I'm not going to chase with Rublev because he has, once again, a couple of really tough matches. Facing off against Rundolo, followed by Musetti, followed by Rude. Really not a great gauntlet there you want to deal with. So I think I prefer Rude over Rublev, even though Rublev just beat him. I think that plus 430 is a very good value play for a guy that should have a relatively easy path to at least the semis, probably beyond, because once again, Zverev doesn't scare me. And I do think that Rude should be in the final, which will be a very nice spot to be in with a plus 430. And you could always hedge if you get to that spot. So for me, I'm going to skip Rublev, but I will take Rude at plus 430. I am going to take Musetti. I do think Musetti has an edge because Rublev and Sarundolo have to play against each other first, and Musetti can feast on the scraps. Now, besides that head-to-head matchup, Musetti's actual draw is really favorable. Face off against uh, Emer, uh, the bad one. The other one got suspended once again for about a year and change. But Emer lost to Borg in Bastad, so I'm not scared of him. Musetti should dominate. Then a matchup against either Varius or Seabolt Wild, who I think, once again, Varius should win. But I think it's going to be a very, very competitive first-round match where they might be exhausted, and Musetti can capitalize on the potential fatigue. And I do think that Musetti is better than Varius on clay. Varius is good, but Musetti's got more firepower, and I do think that his ability to really just showcase a variety of shots is going to give Varias problems, who's a little bit one-dimensional. But Musetti can alternate the overall height of the backhand. He can throw in some finesse with some drop shots, can volley a little bit. Varias really doesn't have that variety. And I think with a match that should have a lot of breaks of serve, I have more faith in Musetti to hold than I do Varias. So give me Musetti to advance there. Then either Dejir or Pella. You had an upset in the first round as Dejir was able to beat Echeverry. And I think both players are pretty even in terms of talent. But I do think that Musetti is better than both guys. So I think Musetti, once again, has a pretty favorable draw in his immediate section. 
and then you could watch Sarundalo and Rublev kill each other and feast on the scraps. So I will go with a Musetti to defend his title at plus 850. I do like the odds there. As for anybody else that I'm tempted by, I really don't see much. I thought about, once again, trying to find a long shot I could consider. I really don't see many options. I, I feel like if I was going to pick somebody, it would be in that Musetti range because you're hoping that Sarundalo and Rublev kind of kill each other and Rude is in the finals. You can avoid him as long as possible. The problem is I really don't see many people in the immediate Musetti region that I actually have faith in to make a deep run. Like I'm not picking Dejir to win the event at 14 to one. I hate those odds. I don't see much in terms of long shots. If you want to go based solely on upside, I guess my argument would be Altmeyer maybe, but at like 29 to one, but I really don't like his draw either uh, because Altmeyer would be in line to face off against, sorry, just trying to find out where Altmeyer actually is on the, uh, yeah, he's facing off against Rublev in the second round, which is not a good draw at all, but I do think he's got the talent to make a hypothetical Cinderella run. I don't see many guys that I'm tempted by for long shots. I think I think a favorite's going to win. It's a pretty top-heavy tournament where you have five really good clay players with Rublev, Rude, Zverev, Musetti, and Sarundalo. And even though I am low on Zverev compared to the other four, the point is I do think that those five guys should have the winner amongst them. And I'm not, I'm not picking a long shot. Lahovich is fun, but he's been in terrible form physically, so I can't pick him. Baez is good on clay, but recent form and his matchup against Rude in the first round immediately eliminate him from serious consideration as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to play it safe here. I'm going to go with the two guys that I mentioned. If I had to pick a third, it probably would be Rublev if I had to pick. Sarundalo at, at plus 1,000 is intriguing, but I don't think he's going to win the event. So give me Rude at plus 430 and give me Musetti at plus 850, and those will be my two shots there to win the event. But moving on to the next tournament, going to talk about Umog. And for this event, you have what could be a really, really open event. If I was going to compare it to an event from last week, it would be Gustad, where you had a bunch of co-favorites who you didn't really trust, and instead you had a somewhat Cinderella run there with Katchen against Ramos Vinolas. You had two long shots in the final, and I do think you can see a similar script unfold here in Umag. Now, the favorites here, basically a co-favorite, depending on what book you look at. In some books, Team's the favorite. In some books, Laheshka is a favorite. But for FanDuel, Laheshka is the favorite at plus 650. You have Team at plus 750, Afner at 10-1, and Warenka at 10 to 1. You also have Sonigo at 10 to 1, Arnaldi at 12 to 1, Baina at 15 to 1, Munar at 15 to 1, Papyrin at 15 to 1, Kabali at 15 to 1, Morozin at 19 to 1, Shevchenko at 19 to 1, and then you have a couple of other series long shots, including O'Connell at 24 to 1, Aramos Vinolas at 29 to 1, and you have Coria. At 29 to 1. Now, to look at the actual draw for some of the main players here, first things first, there's one player I'm immediately eliminating from my list. It's actually going to be two, potentially three, but for now, two. I'm not taking team. I can't take plus 750 for a guy that has barely made a deep run in any ATP events for the last two years. Now, I understand this field is a bit weaker than in most years, but I'm not picking team. He, look, he always looks good in the first round, then immediately falls apart. I'm not going to pick him. But the main guy that I'm automatically eliminating is Baina, because Baina got shelled 
by Warenka in his last match, and he even retired mid-match due to injury, and now he's 15-1. to There's no chance I'm taking Baina. I think that's a complete waste of money. If he wins the event, then he wins the event. But based on his retirement last match, his recent form, which has not been great, I'm not picking him. I think it's a massive waste of money, and I think Baina should be a much higher price. 15-1 to is offensive. With his injury history at this point and his current form, he really should be closer to 25-1 to if I had to price it myself. But I do think looking at the overall odds here, those odds look off, and I think he should be a much bigger underdog to win the event. But anyway, to go through the actual draw for the main players first, I'm going to start off with the favorite in Waheshka, and he faces off against team. So the two, so two of the favorites are going to kill each other in the round of 16, which I think is a horrible deal. So as a result, I'm eliminating Waheshka and team because there's no point I'd rather take a much uh, cheaper price uh, with whoever wins in theory, because I do think that uh, you're looking at a weak field, and I can see a world where Laheshka wins the uh, wins this match, drops to like four to one. But I'd rather take the four to one than to actually pick a match that could go either way. So for me, I'm completely skipping Laheshka and team because they play against each other. And I think because of that, it's ridiculous that they are the co-favorites to actually win this event when they're going to fight in the round of 16. So I'm limiting those two. Now, moving on to the other side of the bracket, you have Sonigo, who has a pretty decent draw. The problem is Sonigo has been in really bad form, so I don't trust him. As for the other favorites here, you have Waranka, who has a pretty interesting match against Misalich. In the first round, and Mislich was playing some good tennis last week. Then he would face off against either Husor or Coria, which is not easy. I'm going to lean Coria there. But I do think there's a lot of opportunities to pick some long shots to make deep runs because Warenka against Coria might not be that easy. Sonigo's been in bad form, so I'm not going to pick him. And Laheshka and team are going to face off against each other. So when you talk about eliminating those options, you have Offner. Now, Offner is a pretty good clay player. Do I trust him being minus 1,000 in an ATP event? No, not really. So I think his price is a bit off, too. Now, Offner does have a buy. Then he faced off against Papyron. And then either Prismich or probably or Piros or O'Connell. I'm assuming whoever wins that Piros-O'Connell match is probably going to get past Prismich. But do I have faith in Offner to beat Papyron? Not really. I think that could go either way. So I'm not sold in any of these favorites. And because of that, I am going to take some long shots. Now, to look at the actual odds of players to look at Arnaldi's interesting but I do think Arnaldi will have a war against Caboli in the next round and Caboli is a guy that has faced off against uh has faced off against Arnaldi three times in their career and each match has gone to three sets so I can see a war there that could go either way Caboli looked good against the compromise Chilich I will admit but I thought he looked solid. Arnaldi does have a match against DeJong on Tuesday, and then they would play on Wednesday. So Kabali does have a full day of rest, which could definitely pay some dividends for him. I do like Kabali's draw, or I should say whoever ends up winning that Arnaldi and Kabali match. I like their draw because the winner of that would face off against either Laheshka or team, who could be exhausted after having what could be a war in the round of 16. Then in the semis, potentially facing off against either O'Connell or Offner, I think that's a pretty decent draw there as well. And I do think that, once again, taking a skilled Italian player 
either Arnaldi or Kabali, pretty similar skill sets to make a deep run makes a lot of sense since I'm not sold on Offner and I'm really not sold on the rest of that field. But I do think some of the long shots I'm going to take are going to be in that section because I'm not sold on team long-term. And I do think there are, once again, a lot of opportunities to find some talented young players who could make deep runs. Now, the bottom half is also intriguing because Sonigo is not in good form, but his draw is solid. Ramos Vinolas against Munar is an interesting first-round matchup. I think that Ramos Vinolas could make a deep run, but I am concerned about fatigue because he just made it to a final, and he's up there in years at this point, being in his mid-30s. I think Coria has a shot. I said I'm going to fade Baina, and I do think that, once again, Waranka could be in trouble against Misalich in the first round. I think Coria should beat Husler. Uh, Coria is the type of player that would give Husler problems because all he does is keep the ball in play, and Husler is an unforced error machine. I thought Coria was pretty good last week against uh, or in Bastad. He eventually lost to Sarundalo, but I thought he looked pretty decent in that overall event. And you're looking at what, once again, could be a long price at 36 to 1. I think that's appealing for a guy that made an ATP final last year, a guy that looked pretty good over the weekend. And shopping around, you could find the same exact price or same exact player, Coria, on BetMGM at plus 2200. So I'm getting, once again, like an extra 50% on my odds, re- basically getting a plus 2200 at plus 3600. I am going to take some spins on long shots. Now it's going to be the opposite of what just happened in Hamburg because I just said I'm taking a bunch of favorites in Hamburg and I'm expecting chalk. I'm expecting chaos in Umag. So for me, I'm going to completely ignore the top five favorites, uh, Laheshka, Team, Offner, Waranka, and Sonigo. Now, maybe I'll reconsider if Laheshka ends up beating Team, but I don't see any value when the two favorites to win the event are against each other immediately there's no value on either guy. So I'm going to ignore them. Arnaldi's interesting, but I'm not sold on the 12 to 1 price because I do think Kaboli can give him problems and then you'd have to face off against the winner of Laheshka and team right after it. 12 to 1's just not big enough for me, so I'm going to skip on him. Munard 15 to 1 would be, in- would be interesting if he was not facing off against the likes of Ramos Vinolas in the first round immediately, which could go either way. So I'm not sold on them. Now, if I want to actually go once again for a long shot that I think could make a somewhat surprising deep run, I wish there were quarter odds available because I would pick them to win the quarter. I believe it was six to one or six fifty or maybe even seven to one entering the matches today, but then he ended up playing it and he won, so the odds would obviously drop. I am tempted by Kaboli. And Kaboli I did find a fifteen to one on FanDuel, but I did find twenty to one on BetMGM. And I do think that when you're looking at a guy who could make a somewhat deep run, an underrated player on clay, and once again, he has had a bunch of wars against Arnaldi in the past, I can see that match going either way. And I think looking at 20 to 1 is a pretty nice price for a guy that I thought looked pretty good in his first round match against Chilich. Now, Chilich did not really look that bad for a guy that had not played in about seven months. But I thought Caboli looked solid. The forehand was great. The backhand was great. He's got a lot of firepower. That match against Arnaldi should be a lot of fun. But if you want to give me Arnaldi at 12-1 to 1 and give me Caboli at 20-1, to 1, and I think that match is kind of a coin flip, I think there's value on, on uh, Caboli. So I'm going to pick him as my first long shot at 20-1. to 1. 
I think he's got a pretty good chance to win the quarter as well, uh, but I don't see odds on that at this point in time. My first long shot will be Kaboli. Uh, moving on, I am tempted by either O'Connell or Piros, and I do think that, once again, that's basically a coin flip match. I believe O'Connell is minus 125, but Piros has had success uh, in... Uh, events, especially against this individual quarter. He's actually done pretty well against guys in the section, and I do think that Piros is in line for what could be a bit of a Cinderella run. And to look at the brief recap of their head-to-head history between O'Connell and Piros as I pull it up, they have faced off a couple of times on clay. O'Connell did win the first two meetings on clay, one in 2019 uh, in a challenger event, one in straight sets. They faced off in Croatia in the final in 2022, uh, and O'Connell was hurt. Uh, sorry, and uh, Piros was hurt as he retired in the second set. However, they did face off in an, in an immediate rematch in that same exact venue in Croatia in split. That was this year, and Piros won in straight sets. So the point is, Piros, based on this year's form, has already beaten O'Connell in straight sets on clay. And if you want to actually go down the line, he has had wins against basically the entire quarter. And when you're looking at who he might face off against, assuming he ends up beating the likes of O'Connell in the first round, you're looking at what could be, a once again, a pretty decent draw because Piros has already beaten uh, Prismich. He's already beaten Offner. So I do think that you're looking at a spot where Piros could be a Cinderella because he has beaten a decent amount of players in his quarter already. And similarly to what I mentioned for Kaboli, there's some massive line disparity because Piros is plus 2,500 on BetMGM to win the event, and Piros is plus 3,300 on Bet Online to win the event. He is available at plus 3,600 to win the event on FanDuel. So I do think, once again, getting a lot of extra value there is appealing I'm going to go with Piros at plus 3,600 to be a Cinderella story. Uh, once again, I do have questions about the overall uh, half of the bracket. And I do think that Offner, once again, at 10 to 1, is kind of an insane price for a guy with basically no ATP pedigree. But I do think when you're looking at what could be a realistic semifinal matchup, it would not shock me if Piros and Kaboli faced off in the semis, and you have a serious long shot with a chance to win the overall event. But for me, I'm going to go with Piros at plus 3,600. I'm also going to go with Coria at plus 3,600. I think he should be able to beat Husor, and I do think that Warenka might find himself into some trouble against Misalich, and I don't really trust either guy. But Coria, I thought, looked pretty good in Bastad. His serve is still a problem, which I am aware of, but I do think, once again, taking a solid clay player who made a clay final earlier this year in Argentina. I do think that you're looking at a guy who could make a somewhat surprising deep run, especially at that price. And Coria, for comparison, is plus 2,200 on BetMGM. And he is also plus, uh, sorry, just pulling it up quickly. He's plus 3,300 on Bet Online, but he's plus 3,600 on FanDuel. I like the odds there. So once again, I'm going to go with some serious long shots. Could blow up in my face, but I really don't see much value uh, on any of the lower price guys. Give me Kaboli at plus uh, 2,000 on BetMGM. I'm going to go with Coria at plus 3,600 on FanDuel. And I am going to go with uh, Piros at plus 3,600 on FanDuel as well. I don't really have much else. If you want to go for a smaller 
I don't want to call it a long shot, but a smaller odded guy who's not a favorite. Papyron's appealing at 15 to 1. He would have to beat Offner, which might not be easy, but he is in pretty decent form. That could be intriguing. But I toss most of the field out. I can see a world where you have a couple of long shots. Maybe I'm wrong about Piros, and maybe O'Connell makes a run. But I, I don't think there's any value taking any of the main favorites. If you like Arnaldi, if you think Arnaldi can beat Caboli, then I wouldn't mind him either. But I think based on that coin flip, I would rather take the guy with the much higher outright price. The point is, I don't think any of the main five are going to win. And if they do, I wouldn't be totally shocked but I think that they are underpriced because of their recent form. So for that reason, I am going to go with a couple of long shots. And I do think once again, you can see one of the guys that I mentioned making a semi and we'll go from there. So that's going to wrap it up for Umag. A lot of chaos I'm expecting. I wish I had quarter odds because I would have really dug deep uh, with the quarters. I actually am going to check bet three, six, five really quickly to see if I can find quarters because that is a tournament that I want to have quarter odds on because I really don't like the favorites once again. And there could be a lot of very good value to be to be had. And that's why we cashed a lot in Gustad because we faded all the favorites and a lot of underdogs actually made it to the semis and we made a decent amount of money. Now, I actually do have quarters for Umag. So shout out to Bet365 for coming through. Now, for the sake of the actual outrights here for the quarter, Laheshka's plus 187, Team is plus 240, Kaboli's plus 333, Arnaldi's plus 350, and Dejong is 18 to 1. Now, first of all, I find it a bit odd that Arnaldi's favored, and yet Kaboli has smaller odds to actually win the quarter. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I think Caboli is alive once again at plus 333. I think Arnaldi's alive too. To be honest, I'd rather have the winner of that match take on the winner of the Laheshka and team match. But I do think Caboli at plus 333 is appealing. So is Arnaldi, to be honest. I'm not interested in Laheshka or team. Moving into the second quarter, you have Offner at plus 140, the Pyron at plus 275, O'Connell at plus 450, Prismich at 6-1, to one, and Piros at 6-1. to one. The odds for me or the plays I'm interested in are going to be O'Connell and Piros. Uh, now, I am aware Prismich looked good. He also played against a nobody, which definitely helps. But I do think that Piros and O'Connell are two very solid clay players that could make deep runs. I mentioned Piros's overall head-to-head numbers against some players in this quarter. They're pretty good. So I think that Piros is a very underrated player on clay, and I think he's in line to perform well. So give me O'Connell at plus 450 and give me Piros at 6-1. to one. Moving into the third quarter, you have Warenka at plus 220. You have Baina at plus 240. Tara Daniels at 3-1. to one. Corey is at 650. Misalich is 850. And Husor is plus 1,000. So this is going to be the most unpredictable quarter based on how high the favorites are in terms of price because Warenka is the favorite at plus 220. There's two guys I'm tempted by. It is Coria at plus 650, which is one of my favorite plays because I think that's an insane price. The other is Misalich, who I thought looked pretty good over the past week, and I think he can beat Waranka. I'm not interested, I'm not interested in Husor at plus 1,000. Not interested in Baina because of his injury and the fact that he retired in his last match. Daniel did not look great uh, against Alonda Lucci in, in the Monday match, so I'm going to skip him. Waranka, I'm not taking a plus 220. So by elimination, I have Coria at plus 650, and Misalich at plus 850. My favorite play there is Coria, but I do think one of those two should be in 
the quarterfinals, and you might be able to hedge, but I think Coria and Misalich are my plays there. And the fourth quarter, you have Sonigo at plus 187, Munar at plus 350, Morozin at plus 450. You have Shevchenko at 5-1, to one, Ramos Vanolas at 750, uh, J.M. at 10-1, to one, and Kecinato at 12-1. to one. Now, Kecinato has not been in good form physically, so I'm not going to pick him. Sarandolo has not been playing great tennis either. Then again, he tried grass season, and he's not good on grass. So maybe 10-1, to 1, you can make an argument. My only case here would really be Munar or Ramos Vinolas. They're playing against each other in the first round, but Ramos Vinolas is getting more than two times the odds that Munar is. I know Ramos Vinolas made a final, so that is a bit of a concern in terms of overall durability and stamina because fatigue could be a problem here. But in the head-to-head, Ramos Vinolas is 3-0 against Munar in ATP events, and he's 5-0, including Challenger events. Now, those were a while ago. They have not played since 2020. Uh, But the point is, I do think with a 5-0 head-to-head record, I got to assume Ramos Vinolas can give Munar a lot of problems. 750 is a really good price. I'm going to go for a long shot there. Give me Ramos Vinolas at plus 750 to get the job done in the quarter. So once again, a lot of long shots. So if we had one or two of these, we're set for the whole week. But my long shots, once again, for the quarters are going to be Caboli at plus 333. And I'll take Arnaldi at plus 350. I think whoever wins that match should beat Oheshka or team. For the second quarter, I'm going to go with O'Connell at plus 450 and Piros at 6-1. to one. For the third quarter, I'm going to go with Coria at plus 650 and Misalich at plus 850. And for the last quarter, give me Ramos Vinolas at plus 750, and that's going to be it. So once again, a lot of chaos I'm expecting, and hopefully we end up getting it to catch a couple of serious long shots in that tournament. Now moving on to the final tournament of the week, it's going to be Atlanta. And to look at the actual odds here, Fritz is the favorite at plus 340. Diminor is the second favorite at plus 550. Eubanks is 550. Nakashima is plus 1400. Isner is plus 1400. Nishioka is plus 1400. Kokonakis is 15 to 1. Evans is 16 to 1. Umber is 16 to 1. Wolf is 16 to 1. Nishikori, shout out to him, uh, is 21 to 1. Thompson is 23 to 1. They're playing against each other in the first round, Nishikori and Thompson. So I will be avoiding both players. Uh, Vukic, 24 to 1. Shelton, 24 to 1. Harris, 24 to 1. And a couple of serious long shots after that, including Mickelson at 31 to 1. Now, looking at the actual history of this event, should be a fun one. Diminor is the defending champion, as he was able to beat Brooksby in straight sets in the event last year. Isner is basically the owner of this event because he's a six-time champion, and the event's been around for roughly 12 years. So it's been around for a while, or I I should say, I mean, once again, I mentioned a tournament earlier that's been around for basically 120 years. Uh, This one, not so much. So it's relatively new, still been around for over a decade, and Americans have done very well here. Americans have won every single tournament here except for two. Or sorry, except for three. Uh, Kyrgios won in 2016, Diminor won in 2019, and Diminor won it in 2022. So Isner's won it six times. Am I picking Isner? Absolutely not. I think he's physically cooked. Uh, I think he's never going to win in another ATP event for the rest of his career. And I think he's probably going to retire at some point because he literally cannot move side to side. So Isner is not going to win anything. 
I don't think he's even going to win the quarter. So I think Isner is going to lose early. The main guy I'm interested in is Diminor, who's a two-time champion. He won the event last year. We know how good he is at hardcore because of his overall speed, and it's a pretty weak field. Now, Eubanks is interesting at plus 550 because he had his coming out party in the grass season where he won his first ATP event, and he also made a deep run in the in Wimbledon as he made a quarterfinal. But the point is, I think Eubanks could be appealing. The only concern I would have is the fact that he was very good on grass, and before grass, he was kind of decent on hard court. wasn't amazing. 550, though, I do wonder if that's a little bit too cheap or not. I will go through the draw, though, just to confirm here how the path looks for both guys. So starting off with the overall path for... I'll start off with Diminor. So Diminor has a pretty decent path. He faced off against Kokonakis in the second round, which can be very entertaining. Uh, but to go through the head-to-head there, Diminor and Kokonakis have shockingly never played against each other. Now, Kokonakis had a war against post-prime Monfi, which went to a final set tie break. Diminor, I just think, is the better overall player. And I do think that even though Kokonakis has the firepower to push Diminor around the court, I think Diminor is going to keep too many balls in play that Kokonakis will eventually self-destruct and Diminor will beat him. As for his potential matchup in the next round, either Lloyd Harris or probably Umber, I think Diminor is better than both guys. So I think he should have a decent path. Then after that, potentially Eubanks. Uh, Eubanks is in the same section, though, as Nakashima and Nishioka. He might have to face off against Nakashima in the second round, which isn't exactly the easiest draw. I think Eubanks, though, I recognize how good he's been recently. I just think with the lack of overall ATP success, the odds are a bit too short. Would it shock me if he made a deep run? Not really. But plus 550, the same odds as a two-time champion, I think is a little bit offensive. I'd rather take Diminor. Uh, at the plus 550 price, comparatively speaking, because I do think those odds are just much better. I think BetMGM's got it right. I think BetMGM has the odds I would have, which is Diminor being a co-favorite at around plus 400, and Eubanks being 6-1. to one. Roughly a $2 differential between the two players. That sounds fair to me. But with the current odds on FanDuel of both guys being plus 550, I think Diminor's price is too high. And because of that, I'm going to jump on it because I do think that it should be closer to four to one. And even Bet365 has Diminor at four to one. So FanDuel kind of went rogue there, giving Diminor plus 550. I'm going to take it. Once again, defending champion, two time champion here with a pretty good draw if you think he gets past Kokonakis, which I do. So I'm going to pick uh, Diminor to get the job done. I do want to also mention, though, Fritz, who I kind of glossed over. I have not been a fan of Fritz's recent form. He was the one that was actually against Monfi in the UTS over the weekend, and he went to a sudden death uh, format against Monfi because he could not put Monfi away. Not a good look. Fritz has been really bad for the last couple of weeks, and I'm not going to pick him. Simply put, he did make a final in 2019 here, but I do think he's in line to get upset early as a matchup against either Yibbing or Mutet. I think Fritz should win that match, but I wouldn't be shocked if you ended up seeing Gibbing potentially upset Fritz or maybe even whoever comes out of that bottom section because it is a gauntlet. You have Shelton, Shang, Thompson, and Nishikori in that section. I think whoever comes out of there could be Fritz. I can, I can see a world where Shelton could beat Fritz in a couple of tiebreakers. I can see a world where Nishikori potentially looks great 
and is able to wear down Fritz with a lot of consistency. And he's looking at a spot where Nishikori can really just force a lot of unforced errors on Fritz and Fritz can self-destruct. I can even see Tom Thompson potentially beating Fritz because Thompson is in line to continue his good form. I know that he was great on grass. You could argue that Thompson's a mediocre hardcore player, but can I see a world where Thompson is able to beat Fritz? I definitely can. So I think Fritz, based on current form, I understand why he's the favorite, but I do think at the end of the day, he is not in good enough form for me to take him as the favorite. I'm going to pass on Fritz. As for everybody else in the overall bracket, and to go through the odds quickly, I already mentioned that I'm tossing Isner out, even though he's won this event six times, because Isner is horrible at this stage in his career. Nakashima, I would consider, but he's been really bad this year, so I don't exactly have faith in him either. Nishioka's intriguing, because I know he has made the occasional deep run on hard courts. This year, he's been hit or miss, but I do think that you're looking at a guy that could maybe make a run, uh, just to look at his overall draw quickly, uh, just trying to find Nishioka. Face off against Vukic in the next round, which should be reasonable. And then either Eubanks or Nakashima. Now, that could be a bit difficult, especially Eubanks, because not, uh, Nishioka is undersized. Now, I guess the one thing that works well for Nishioka is the fact that he loves to rally, and Eubanks is not the greatest rallier in the world. So I can see a situation where Nishioka could potentially make a run then he would have to face off against Dimonor, though, in the bottom half, and I think Dimonor would beat him. So I'm not exactly sold on his potential there. One guy that I really do like the draw of, though, is an American, is J.J. Wolf. I think J.J. Wolf is a pretty good draw. And I think that when you're looking at how he has played this year, he's been fine. He's mostly a hardcore specialist, just judging based on his overall results. And I do think he looked very good against Jung. In the first round, not saying much because Jung isn't a great hardcore player, but still, I do think when you're looking at the price of 16 to 1 for a guy that is a pretty favorable section, I think it can make a deep run. Now, I mentioned earlier that Mickelson's having a rematch against Cressy, so they're going to kill each other, and then the winner would face off against Wolf. So Wolf can get the scraps there. Then he'd face off against either Evans or Isner or Comfer. I know that once again, Isner's a six time champion. But it would not shock me if Isner lost to Evans, even Comfer, or even if he lost to Wolf. The point is, Isner is not going to break anybody because he can't move. So I definitely think that Isner is, at this point, relying solely on tie breaks, and he can't move. So if he misses a first serve, he might be screwed. The point is, I do think Wolf has a pretty good draw to actually make a deep run. And assuming he gets past Isner or Evans, etc., he would face off against either Fritz in that section, which could maybe become Shelton or maybe become Thompson or Nishikori. I think Wolf's got value at the price of 16 to 1. I just think that for his overall section, it is quite appealing. And I do think he can have the solid enough path to make a deep run. Now, is it possible that he is going to get a good path and choke it away anyway? Sure. I'm not saying that that's impossible, but I do think based on the odds here, he has a very nice draw, and as a result, I am going to take it because he's going to let Nishikori and Thompson and Fritz and all those guys kill each other and then get the scraps. Well, he might have to face off against either Mickelson, who's completely unproven, or face off against Cressy, who he knows is a double-faulting machine. And then Isner, who is a serve bot who can't move. So I do think, once again, J.J. Wolf is worth a shot here at 16-1. to 1. I think that is appealing. 
do I want to make a case for Shelton? Because even though Americans have done very well here in the past, a big reason for that is big servers who have done well. Now, last year's an exception because Diminor and Brooksby are both not good servers in general. But Isner's won it six times. You're looking at Fritz who made a final. Isner has made it to... Let me just do the math here. Isner's made it to nine finals here. But Mueller was a big server. He was a runner-up. Roddick won one in 2012. Anderson was a runner-up. He was a big server in 2013. There have been a lot of big servers who have done well here. And I bring it up because I am kind of tempted by Shelton. I think Shelton might be worth a look at 24-1. to 1, And I do think that he can be in line to be a Cinderella. Now, I am aware once again, his results this year have not been that great post-Australian Open. I'm aware of that. But I do think looking at his current price of around 24 to 1, there is some intrigue there. And to look at his draw, face off against Shang. Now, Shang's a pretty good young Chinese player, but he's not a great server. I think Shelton should be able to hold pretty easily. Then you could argue that Thompson and, Nish- and Nishikori are going to kill each other. But Nishikori just lost to Mickelson in a challenger event right before this. And I'm not going to say that Shelton and Mickelson are the same type of player, but they have similar skill sets. And I do think that, once again, Shelton, with the speed of the Atlanta courts, can give Nishikori some problems with his serve. So I think Shelton could beat Fritz if that ended up uh, being the matchup and they face off in a couple of tiebreakers. I think that Shelton could beat Fritz, especially in his current form. I think Shelton's worth a look. So I think that for the sake of this overall event, I'm going to have faith in Diminor to handle the bottom half and I will take some long shots on the top half. So once again, my outrights for Atlanta, I'm going to go with Diminor at plus 550. I'm going to go with Wolf at 16 to 1, and I'm going to go with Shelton at 24 to 1. All three of those bets are available on bet on uh sorry, on FanDuel. Uh, just quickly looking to see if there's any better prices. I actually do see a better price available, so I will make some brief adjustments on the fly. So starting off with Diminor, that's not changing. That's still going to be 550. Wolf, I see plus 2,000 uh, on bet 365. So I'm going to take that instead of 16 to 1. And I see Shelton at plus 3,300 on bet 365. So those are my updated outrights. Plus 550 on Diminor on FanDuel. Plus 2,000 on Wolf at bet 365. And plus 3,300 on Shelton at bet 365. That's going to wrap it up for my outrights for the three tournaments. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the actual matches taking place on Tuesday. But before we do that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by the Sports Game Podcast Patreon. Do your part in the war against corporate gambling and sign up for the SGP Patreon. Tons of exclusive content, contests, and merch just for our patrons, plus a monthly SGP Stories podcast, an ad-free, uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being DGENs. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. The Sports Game Podcast Patreon is a great way to score exclusive perks and support SGPN. SportsCampPodcast.com slash Patreon. SportsCampPodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. The NFL season is right around the corner, and Underdog Pick'em is a great way to get down on a ton of NFL player props and is available in a ton of markets. Plus, plenty of opportunities to win in their daily MLB contests. And, of course, make sure to enter Best Ball Mania 4, where first place gets $1 million. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the three tournaments on the men's side taking place over the next week in Atlanta, Hamburg, and Newmog. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks on some matches. Starting off with the lock, I'm going to go to a match taking place on Wednesday morning in Hamburg between Rude and and Baez. And for this matchup, Rude's a massive favorite at around minus 500. I'm going to cut into that juice. I'm going to take Rude to win in straight sets at minus 140 on Bet Online. Simply put, this one's too cheap. I think Rude's going to dominate. Baez has really not been in great form, and we saw that in his loss against Coria in a match he should have won in Bastad. But the point is, you're looking at the recent form of both players. Rude, even though he did kind of fail us there in the final against Rublev, and at least he made the final. He didn't drop a set in the process. He's still a top five clay player in the world. Baez has been very streaky all year long, and he's not been in good form. But looking at his overall results, once again, lost in Bustad in three. That was the only clay match he played uh, after Wimbledon. So I wonder if clay rust might still be a thing. Even in the end of the clay court season, he wasn't great because he lost to Nori in three, and then he ended up facing off against Monfi. And of course, he had that ridiculous choke job in the fifth set against Monfi in that loss. So Baez has not even been that steady on clay recently. And now he's against the top five clay player in the world. Not to mention the fact they faced off on clay earlier this year in Estoril. And Rude beat the hell out of him. Rude beat him 6-3-6-0. So I do think Rude's overall style of play and his consistency with his varying level of just shots and shot height, etc. I think it's going to be able to keep Baez off guard. I think Baez is going to hit a lot of, of unforced errors, and I think Root should win comfortably somewhere along the realm of like 6-3, 6-4, something like that. But give me Root winning straight sets at minus 140 as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go to a match taking place on Tuesday morning uh, in Umag, and it's going to be in a matchup between Munar and Ramos Vinolas. And for this one, even though it goes against my general rule of fading of uh, fading guys who just made a final the weekend prior, I, lo- I really love the odds on Ramos Vinolas here. I'm going to take Ramos Vinolas' money line at plus 157. You're getting a guy that's 5-0 and in the head, Ted. Once again, 5-0. and who made a final this past weekend at plus 157. Munar is a guy who I think is a solid clay player, but Ramos Vinolas has proven time and time again that he is just a really bad matchup for Munar. And I do think when you're looking at how these players once again match up against each other, you make an argument you're going to see a lot of long rallies. Both guys can't really serve, and that's going to balance itself out. But it does seem like maybe it's because of the fact that he's a lefty, but it's a bit interesting that Munar is this bad against a guy from his fellow country. And I do think that when you're looking at the overall results here, it's really insane because Munar's only won one set, and it was back in 2019, and four of the five matches were on clay. So there's a lot of sample size there. Once again, a couple years ago, so I acknowledge it. But the fact that he's getting plus 157, despite being 5-0 and in the head-to-head, is kind of insane to me. I got to take the value there. I got to take Ramos Vinolas' money line and hope that Munar once again loses to a guy that has owned him, historically speaking. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock is going to be on Rude, minus one and a half sets at minus 140. And the dog will be Ramos Vinolas' money line at plus 157. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll be back once again later in the week, probably for the semis, maybe the quarters. We'll see. 
Uh, come, it also comes down to when the lines get released for the matches because of how late the matches in Atlanta actually end. But either way, find me on Twitter at Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, the WNBA show. You get the drill. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.